Welcome to the Abbott Circle podcast. I'm Father Ambrose Christ, and I'm the novice master here at St. Michael's Abbey. We hope that you enjoy the following recording. To learn more about the Norbertines, visit theabbotcircle.com. God bless you. Strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. This is the finger of God. And again, God gave to Moses a tablet of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Then, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. At last, Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. Today on this Passion Sunday, we are nourished by the dramatic scene of the recapitulation of all things in Christ Jesus made manifest by the dialogue of Christ with an adulterous woman. Here, an adulterous woman's secretive life moves from hidden to revealed, from revealed to acknowledged, from acknowledged to forgiven, from forgiven to infectious. From today's gospel lesson, we are given the inspiration to pick up the stones of creation, turn them away from others, and hurl them towards our own wicked and fearful hearts. And we have surety that these sonorous beats of contrition are graced by the presence of the finger of God, the digitus dei, the Holy Spirit who sanctifies us through the waters of baptism and spares us from the fires of hell. And this same Holy Spirit is here, latent, waiting for the acceptable time to reveal himself through the person of Jesus Christ. Through the theandric action of the Messiah bending down, the Holy Spirit, the finger of God, plows open the original designs of creation and reconfigures the slime of the earth. He no longer hovers over the waters, but now enters into the very heart of the earth, of creation. He digs into the wound of sleeping Adam and recreates his primordial work by sending forth a deluge of living water that wells up to eternal life. And it is these deifying waters of baptism which cause those who, as an effect, have the Spirit dwelling in their hearts to pour out rivers of living water upon others, both sinners and saints. But let's peek a little deeper into the hidden workings of the finger of God, the spirit of the Father and the Son. 
What is below the surface in that place where the spirit and creation interact in a dynamic and ever-fruitful way? We should embark on this journey towards greater knowledge of the Holy Ghost, at least for the sake of pleasing St. Basil the Great, the doctor of the Holy Spirit, who we all know is really cool. But even more so because today, the Holy Spirit wants to tell each of us something, to teach us something, to whisper something, to intimate something which is particular to each one of us and which can only be understood by each of us in a personal way. The Holy Spirit is described as being the breath of God. He is the giving over of the life from the Father to the Son and the reciprocation of the same. St. Augustine calls him the bond or the nexus between the Father and his only begotten Son. The Divine Consoler is also an inhalation and exhalation between the first and second persons of the Trinity. Or even more perfectly, the Holy Spirit is the eternal kiss between the Father and the Son. St. Augustine, after proclaiming his praise of God's beauty, exclaiming, O beauty, ever ancient and ever new, ecstatically says, You lavished your fragrance, I gasped. Now the word halatus means a breathing out. It represents the same meaning as spiritus, breath, but halatus takes on the idea of breathing out a fragrance, as when one breathes out a fragrance upon another, a kiss, if you will. The wayward Augustine understands that he is kissed, and therefore he gasps. He loses his breath, and he gasps until the divine breath becomes his own. And we see this idea of certain fragrant kisses or embraces in other places in the scriptures, mostly in poetical literature like the Song of Songs. There we read such things as, Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. And it is this supreme kiss, the Holy Spirit, who is reciprocated between the Father and the Son and enters into the hearts of men in order that they might be sanctified by his very presence. In other words, the Father and the Son breathe the Holy Spirit into the hearts of men and consequently, man tastes God and God tastes man. We feast on him, and he feasts on us. We taste him, we hunger, we thirst for him, he touches us, and we burn for his peace. He seduces us, and we are seduced. We become 
slaves, as it were, to that kiss. We cannot help but pant after that kiss and desire its consummation in the depths of our souls. We want only to be annihilated by that loving embrace. Nevertheless, in the here and now, it causes us to make the best use of the good things we do have. As an effect, we see everything as a gift through the lens of this lip-locked embrace. We are kissed, we can recognize the Spirit's embrace within us, and therefore we can desire it for others. We can allow the Holy Spirit to kiss others from within us, and we can kiss others in union with him. In short, we become the instruments of the Holy Spirit's sanctifying action, which extends from his procession from the Father and the Son. In simple terms, by the Spirit's indwelling, we become other Holy Spirits because we participate in his subsisting relation within the Trinity itself. But lest we digress, it is appropriate to shift gears back to today's gospel. We must put the puzzle together in order to see the whole composition. Christ bends down to the ground and drives the Holy Spirit, the eternal kiss, into the rock of his creation. And what does it mean for Christ to kiss the ground of his creation? It means that he will not abandon his creation that he loves his creation and he has every confidence that all creation will be restored by his pouring out of the spirit, the water, and the blood. A new flood, not intended to destroy creation, but to destroy the devil's hold on creation, in order that all things may redound unto the glory of the most holy trinity. Christ makes all things new by drowning each one of our former adulterous selves in the waters of baptism, by feeding us with his blood and kissing us with the kiss of his mouth, placing a new spirit within us. But who is this unnamed adulterous woman? Clearly, she has been set up for a fall by the righteous leaders of the Israelites in order that they might condemn both her and the Messiah, the one who pardons her. These devilish leaders see this woman and Christ as one and the same, transgressors of the law that ought to be stoned for their blasphemies. But we Catholics, we see this woman and Christ as one and the same, the bride and the bridegroom, awaiting the consummation of their union in the bridal chamber of the wood of the cross. This woman represents the climax of the Spirit's action in the hearts of men. 
This woman is the church. And it is here, before this hard-hearted mob and before the universal church, that Christ illustrates the efficacy of his liturgical action. He shows through his bodily postures, his words, and the indwelling Holy Ghost, a beautiful drama, a breathtaking dance between creation and its creator. Christ bends to the ground. This teaches us that Christ condescends out of love towards the things of creation. He creates land, waters, sky, and the things that dwell therein. And on the seventh day, he stands and looks upon his creation, delights in it, and rests. He rises from his work and he rests in it. He rests in it as a day, as a period of time, an acceptable time. Yet he knows that although he has bent down to creation and lifted it up to the heights of perfection, he will nevertheless choose to again stoop down to the level of creation. But this time, he will enter into creation. He will enter into the divine womb of the Queen of Heaven. He knows before all time that he will take Adam's flesh to himself, that he will found the church, and through her liturgical action, draw all things to himself. In his incarnation, he bends down to fallen man and drives out the accusers who hold him bound to a debt he cannot pay. And through his passion, death, and resurrection, the King of Kings gathers his children and places the Holy Spirit within the hearts of men. And this is a sign of God's love for his church, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He kisses upon his creation to restore what was lost by man's adulterous ways. In the end, Christ again stands and takes his bride in his hand and tells her, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on do not sin any more. And we can imagine that just out of scene, Christ whispers to this adulterous woman his newfound love, his bride, the church. And he says, But if you do perhaps sin, turn to me, let me kiss you again, and I will bind up all of your wounds. Thank you for listening to the Abbott Circle Podcast. If you enjoyed listening or were spiritually nourished, please leave a review to help our podcast grow. Thanks again. God bless you.